Welcome to our 18th Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast and forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Denisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners and the land on which we gather, the Wajuk people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Sense of place and identity are important themes for our discussion today as we explore with our expert panel that I know we're in for a really great conversation today, how we define some of the important and intangible assets of a business that definitely doesn't feature on any balance sheet, but here in Fremantle, we can't imagine doing business without them. Art, heritage, culture and design. From the sighting of white men by the local Wajak Aboriginals and the exploration of different cultures at the formation of our city to the growth and diversity of our port city over time and now our incredible creative industries, Fremantle has some significant cultural, heritage and creative assets. For many of our local businesses, these assets are actually the base of their business, especially when we think of our tourism attractions like the prison or maritime museum, our hospitality venues and historic heritage places, our galleries, our festivals, our architects and our local designers. Art, heritage, culture and design are the blueprint upon which their businesses are built and to a degree marketed. Our expert panel today come from a diversity of industries themselves and I'm really looking forward to sharing what I know will be a conversation we certainly haven't had to date. First up on our panel is Catherine Taylor. Catherine is the Manager of Arts and Culture at the City of Fremantle. She leads, promotes and manages programs for the development and support of arts sector within the Fremantle community. This includes the City of Fremantle's creative assets such as the Fremantle Arts Centre, festivals such as street arts, hidden treasures and ten nights in port, the public art program, the Moores Building and our artistic studios. Prior to the City of Fremantle, Catherine worked for Ogilvy and Mayfair, a creative agency in London. I hold Catherine personally responsible for running down a street in a sequin onesie as a result of 10 <laughs> nights in port not so long ago. An amazing, amazing festivals that you bring to life, Catherine, and um, I think the city would be so much poorer without that life and vitality that you've injected in the last few years into them. From your perspective, what value do you think creativity and the art and cultural side of Fremantle bring to our city? Well, I think it gives us an incredibly unique identity and tells our story, not just to our community, but to the rest of the world. Um, I think it has social, cultural and definitely economic value. And that's through both the industry itself. So, you know, our creative industries in Fremantle um, are extraordinary and they led to QUT and DLGSE, our state department, writing a research paper last year, where it was launched just a few months ago, that called us a creative hotspot and identified um, that amazing creative industry that exists here, but also in the way that we, we program. So we don't do plonk festivals, we don't borrow something from somewhere else and just do it here. Everything we do is programmed to, to tell that Fremantle story and to connect to sense of place. So 10 Nights in Port is a perfect example you know everything, everything connected to to what we what we are, and and showed the rest of the world our uniqueness. Absolutely, absolutely. And this place, obviously, its history, its heritage and culture mm. definitely affects the way we do business, as we've just discussed. From your observation, I guess both 
within the curation of the festivals and events that you've put on, but also, I guess, as a someone who is, watches the creative industry so closely with Fremantle and tries to echo that sense of place within your own marketing and branding mm. and all of those things, how do we appropriately and effectively integrate these local assets, do you think, into our businesses? I think, um, I think street arts is a really interesting case study in that because it started with the busking culture in Fremantle 22, 23 years ago. And it was something that was interesting that was happening already. And then the festival managed to put a kind of magnifying glass over that and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. The audience responded by coming. And so it was able to grow. But it's the businesses are absolutely key to that. So there's over 25 businesses are actively engaged in street arts. And now because of that relationship, because of them um, embracing it, marketing it, doing their creative events in response, spreading onto the footpath in response, um, and being really creative in how they engage with that festival, it's managed to grow to the point that it brings $5.6 million in economic development into the city over those four days. That's, we know that it's mm. measured and over mm. 100,000 people come to Fremantle. And beyond that, it um, gets huge media coverage and reach internationally. So it starts building that brand and those the relationship with those businesses is really key to that. And without them engaging in it, it would just be a festival on the street. Mm. Um, they turn it into the whole city being activated and, and alive. What you've described as well is that idea of one, using a sense of place to build your own business and build your own asset, mm. as you even just described, street arts festival came to life, but also keeping your eyes and ears open to being part of the story. So if things are happening, finding ways to make that relevant for your business. And yeah, absolutely. There. Yep. And it has flow-on effects for employment. You know, we saw with Hidden Treasures, which we just ran in September after July was cancelled. Again, there was nearly nearly every contractor was a Fremantle business. It's across five venues in Fremantle who all reported a huge uplift in, in their um, takes. And other businesses around the area that weren't necessarily involved. I know Darling Darling got a fiddler. They sold out after we sold out. There was a flow on effect of audience and they all reported that, that the city felt more vibrant on a weeknight throughout that festival period. And I think that's something even we've been noticing at the Chamber a lot is that businesses in Fremantle, no matter how diverse they are, are relatively interrelated in mm. some way or form. And, you know, when one sector's doing really well, it helps feed another sector because of the, I guess, the smallness of our community, but also the willingness to be open and to work together in a way that you don't often see, um, I guess, in larger sort of urban centres. And that's another that's one right. of our assets. Absolutely, absolutely. Pippa. Been very busy of late, um, doing some amazing things for Fremantle. Um, Pippa Hurst is a communications designer and founder of Design Frio, a not-for-profit that champions local design and designers. Pippa has worked in Australia and the UK in corporate design consulting, publishing and in the architecture sector. Through Design Frio, she has a focus on building design culture within Fremantle and beyond. And Pippa, I think it was only almost 18 months ago that I think you first came and said, I've got this idea to really start a conversation on what design means right. and, and what Fremantle offers. So what is Design Frio and what are you aiming to showcase in your collaborations with local businesses here? Well, 
I started Design for Air because I really love this city and I really um, believe that, you know, we have so many fantastic designers here. Now, as part of our, we've always had a very strong creative identity, you know, with, with the sort of work that you do and just with all the art over the years, Fremantle has become very much known as a creative place, but we don't talk a lot about our design community. So I really wanted to elevate that and bring that into the limelight a bit more because design is so important. It's around us and it's in everything we do. And I really want to shine a light on the you know, community we have here. We have architects, landscape designers, graphic designers. We have digital designers. We have the film industry, which I very much think is part of the design sector. And I think as part of our identity as a contemporary city and sort of moving forward into the future, it's something we can really capitalise on and harness and bring to what we're doing here. Absolutely. And I think even to put it in context, I think the cultural hotspot research, you know, identified there's 275 design, architecture and, and relevant firms <laughs> yeah, within our lot. city, which is just an incredible amount. And that goes from, you know, the one-man bands, like we've got, I think, three even within this building, through to, you know, larger internationally recognised firms like Kerry Hill and Space Architecture and those sorts of places. Absolutely, and because our designers are winning awards, you know, locally, nationally, internationally. I mean, the calibre of the design talent we have here is incredible. And there's a real concentration of designers in our city. Design Frio is not about just talking about Fremantle. It's about having that broader conversation about design and why design is important, what design brings to our life and how it enriches our lives. So there are design cities, designated design cities around the world. And the, the one, um, UNESCO has a, this creative cities network mm -hmm. and Geelong in Victoria is the Australian des designated design city. And it's very similar to Fremantle in a lot of ways. It's a port city, it has industrial heritage, it has this real concentration of design. Um, sector businesses and so you know I really see that becoming seen as a design city I don't think we need to be designated as a design city but I think having that as part of our identity is is really something we can benefit from all of us um, because that, that sense of place you know if we all try to embrace that and to progress that I think we all benefit from it. Absolutely, and I think the research really clearly showed that the drivers of some of those things are a collaborative community, which we've talked about, that interconnectedness. Spaces, you know, these beautiful heritage spaces that we've got a little bit of that grit and a bit of the, you know, the old port environment just helps fuel some of those bases that we know drive those really creative cities. And I think from also what you were saying, Pippa, that reputational link, our reputation of us as a city is one that embraces those things. It feeds into the reputation of our businesses as well. And there's a way that we can kind of link that. And obviously you've spent a great deal of your career um, integrating design assets and, and I guess very you know visual collateral into visual campaigns, tender submissions, you know, and branding a number of sort of architectural and different organisations. From your perspective, and I guess without the Freer Design Hat and more on your day-to-day your -day hat, Pippa, how do organisations best communicate the assets that they hold, those intangible assets like design and creativity from your perspective? Well, I think when we think about design, we tend to think in that, in that way of outcomes and visual branding and, and sort of things that we can see. But I think we need to also think very much about design in the intangible sense because design is also about process and about designing systems and designing functionality within your business. So... Whilst it's possible, I think I think we should all be very conscious of the quality of design within our business on every level. So there's the outward facing level, there's that interaction, that branding and that identity that we 
faces the world that talks to people about who we are and what we do. But then within our business as well, there is how our systems run, how we are efficient, how we are effective. And then if you're in a business where you've got product, it's that design process of designing those products. So depending on what type of business you're in, there are whole lots of different ways that design integrates into your business. And I think if we look, you know, whatever sort of business you're in, if you look at the, the whole ecology of that business from the ground up, design operates on every level. And I think it's really important to 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 look inwardly in that respect and just see, well, how is my business designed? How can it be more efficient? And what are the, the um, New Zealand did a study of the economic benefit of design to New Zealand and they found that sort of 4% of GDP was attributable to design. And now that's not design businesses per se, that they only make up 4% of that. They're people who are actually in those creative businesses. But within businesses, people designing products, um, people designing systems, if you look at it on that level, it's a huge contribution. So we have businesses down here, say in the port, that are probably designing parts and things, boats, things like that. So it's not just about that outward facing identity, it's about that entire mm. system. And we all have design within our businesses. So how can we strengthen that? How can we really make the most of that so that all of us are operating on a high level of design. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that is in a way the way we communicate some of that intangible is just recognising that every touch point of our business is touching someone's eye, it's touching someone's senses, it's it's creating a sense of something. And I'm really excited to be um, working with the, with the city and Caroline and Matt and the team over the next couple of weeks to try and launch a project that will take some of our forgotten spaces a bit and just add a little bit of design and a little bit of creativity so that, again, even every touch point in our physical city is starting to tell our own story. And whether you are telling a story about how great it is to sit on a boardwalk and you know, have some fish and chips, that's still a textile sort of experience that can be translated into so many different ways within our own businesses. Yeah. And last on our panel, um, but certainly not least, we have someone who has taken a very innovative and interesting approach to building an incredibly creative business. Um, Anna Karras is Director of Artesia Fine Art Gallery in South Fremantle, which is in its 16th year of operation and has survived in many ways in different forms since 2004 and operating under quite an unusual and challenging but yet highly successful business model. So Anna operates by appointment only and holds up to six satellite um, exhibitions annually. And the gallery has been the recipient of three business awards um, and several commendations throughout that time. Artesia's long-standing reputation is based on the quality of its artists, the relationship that it has with Indigenous artists in particular, and its place in the Fremantle creative community. And Anna, we, we had a bit of a chat on the phone during the week and, and just talked about, in many ways, your success is built on your ability to communicate an intangible asset because people can't just walk past or touch it and see it um, often. What do you see are the main challenges of operating a business without a bricks and mortar gallery and do the benefits outweigh the costs? Um, thanks, Denisha. Thanks for um, inviting me today. Um, the challenges are pretty huge. I mean, 16 years in and we still know that there's a lot of people out there that don't know about us. The people who do know about us um, are our champions. So word of mouth is what um, 
uh, we rely on greatly, as well as design, I think. <laughs> I was really interested in hearing your explanation of that because I didn't realise how much design is actually um, so much part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And um, even in designing how we're going to get people to our next exhibition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think, I think um, definitely persistence. Um, it, it, Perth's a really difficult place in which to um, have a model that's so alternative, if you like, um, because I, I don't think that the population is such um, that they're, they're used to doing things that differently in terms of, like, I, I know that even if um, you have a gallery here, if you're upstairs without a shop front or without a, a frontage, it's going to be really difficult to get someone in. If you're in Melbourne or Sydney or something, people go into every nook and cranny to find something. So um, so that that is a real challenge. So in a way, we sort of always feel like we're behind the eight ball uh, in the sense that we don't have a bricks and mortar. Now, it's, it's, we don't, it, it's not, it's, it's an absolute choice to not have a bricks and mortar and um, <clears throat> even at times where we've just gone, oh, God, this is so hard, you know, sort of perhaps we should think about it. But actually, we don't even ask the question. <laughs> um, so um, the challenge is getting people into Fremantle. We've been, uh, most of our exhibitions, our satellite exhibitions, we, held at, we hold at early work in South Fremantle. So we are a South Fremantle business, but of course within the wider mm. Fremantle um, catchment. Um, so about 10 years ago, we um, convinced Kate at Early Work to um, allow us to have our exhibitions there and through persistence. And I think persistence is actually probably a key word in the whole thing. Because um, none of us work in these industries. No, that's I right. That's so, so you would, none of you would know persistence. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway, Kate agreed and we've had a fantastic relationship ever since. Now, the reason we do the exhibitions obviously is because um, if we did it just by appointment um, all the time, it just wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't get the exposure. So the exhibitions always bring new people and we always add people to our database and then from then it's once they know who we are. And, of course, you know, what's really important is that we're dealing in Indigenous art. So um, it's even sort of more um, important that we do... Um, you know, operate in a very sort of open manner, in a very sort of clear way and, um, of course, um, ethical way. So when people come to into our exhibitions, they'll actually meet us, they'll see who we are, we'll talk them through it and then we become sort of... Then they can decide if they're going to make the appointment, knock on the door and come in and, and do business mm -hmm. with us because, quite frankly... I don't think I would do a by appointment without being really, really comfortable before I did that. If I was looking for, you know, sort of like a piece of art for my wall and if I actually, um, you know, sort of uh, didn't know where, where I was going. So um, one of the challenges also has been in getting people into South Fremantle, into early work. Ten years ago it was a real challenge, trying to get them over the bridge you know, it was just like really, really hard. I'm happy to say now we do. And that links back into that reputation and that community. You know, I think mm. the more that we share these incredible stories like yours, Anna, of where people have, you know, successfully built creative businesses and, and even all of the subcontractors that you were talking about, Catherine, that sit in the back of, you know, so many of our beautiful buildings, just getting a bit more awareness of how 
as a community, we share these stories is really important. And Anna, I was really intrigued by your comment around, because you're right, knocking on a door is quite a confronting experience, and Absolutely. particularly to book and report, because yeah. you're kind of like, am I interrupting them? Yeah. You know, is something going... Yeah. And by the same token, I think the work that you do to engage with Indigenous communities is as confronting for you. And I think there is a lovely synergy between that idea that so much of your... It's, you're not just buying a piece of art. In a way, you're buying trust. You're buying that, that connection that you have with Indigenous communities is almost as brave and as important as the person who's coming to buy that and to knock on the door. And there's a, a recognition that people are perhaps moving outside their comfort zone in a number of areas. Yeah, look, I think um, I think that's that's really true. I mean, we have to be. I've always said we can't afford to lose one uh, one client. We can't have one unhappy customer. Mm. We can't have someone um, go away and just go, oh, my God, I'm never going back there again. Or you know, who do they think they are? Whatever. Because if if you've got a bricks and mortar, you know, you can recover from, you know, sort of a bad experience with a client or whatever. We can't afford to do that. Um, one of the things I think that creates the authenticity of what we do as well is people ask, you know, do I go out to community? And I do go out to community and, I mean, that's the fun bit, you know. <laughs> like, I just love going out to community and I was really surprised more... Even more recently, I suppose the last two or three years, everybody wants to know uh, if you've been out to community. And when you say yes, um, they actually really lock in. And, you know, I used to think it was like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm just spending all my time travelling the country, yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. But it, 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 I didn't realise myself, but it's the only way I could operate anyway, by doing it that way. I didn't realise how much people want that authentic experience as well. Of course, now it's pretty clear that people do. Um, and also there, there's a real um, thirst and hunger for knowledge of First Nations um, mm. I think this year particularly Black Lives Matter has had a big difference and people have really stopped and looked around and just went, okay, you know, it's time. Because, you know, even 10 years ago it was... You would get people coming into a gallery going, oh, what's this? And you just sort of... Mm. But now they're seeking it out. They're actually wanting that experience. And, and for us it's never really been just about selling art. It's actually been about... Well, co making cultural connections is our... Mm our theme anyway, and it's always... I don't think we do anything without any educational... In fact, I perhaps over-talk it mm. <laughs> at times because I can't, I can't see the difference. I can't see the difference between the art that we're presenting and, um, you know, sort of the story behind it and the connection and the person who's actually behind it as And well. I think that applies not just to Indigenous art but across the board, and I think one of the things that is really interesting at the moment. It's a little bit like they call the greenwashing, but, you know, in some ways, you know, recognition of local artists and use of local artists can reputationally be something that, and even with architects we see it as well, you know, I'll just go to my builder and he'll whip up a drawing and he's cheaper than an architect or, you know, I'll just get some song and I'll pop it on my ad and I won't really care about the rights of the people that sit behind it. And I'm really interested from all of your perspectives and maybe that's sort of the next question to throw to the panel is how do we get the balance right between recognising how vitally important the things we're talking about are as intangible assets from a business but also respecting the roots of the creators that create these assets for us? Well, really good question. <laughs> well, I think there's an um, a interesting a, a, um, builder that I work with who's, who's our main sponsor, ICS, Australia was talking to me about working because 
in design, it's very collaborative. You know, there's a lot of people that have to come together and it's very much about respecting the value that every one of those people down that supply chain brings to that to that mm, process. Yeah. So important to recognise that that you're doing, you want everyone to value what you do and you have to equally value what the other person brings to the story. So it's a bit like, for example, photographer. Someone might spend all their time designing their product or whatever and then they think, oh, well, I'll just get my friend to photograph it or I'll photograph it. You get the professional photographer, you pay for the professional photographer and that holds an enormous amount of value for the next part of and your acknowledge. journey. Yeah, and acknowledge, yeah. exactly. And recognising that those people have spent all of that time learning those skills. There's an interesting quote from someone that says, you know, you pay me by the hour, but that hour is 30 years of experience. It's mm. not that one hour that any hour person could do. It's an hour of someone who has devoted an entire career to being able to do in an hour some incredibly good work. So valuing everyone down the, down the chain, the supply chain and that creative chain is super important. Acknowledging what they do, recognising... Paying them, absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people in creative businesses, you know, we all love creating and we'll keep going until someone says it's got to be delivered now. And, you know, we will put a lot of work in. We have to ask to be paid as well. And I think there's just got to be that respect for what people bring. And that example that you use of a builder and an architect is a good one because what an architect will bring is a whole lot of really sophisticated design that someone without that training is not going to have and that is going to enrich your life and bring such value to your life. Um, another funny little thing that happened this week, I had a guy that works with me said, oh, I went to Fremantle on the weekend and he was just raving about the experience of going to all of these bars and how fantastic it was and he was talking about going to Darling Darling and the peanuts and he was showing me all the photos and that experience of that sort of authenticity that you're talking about of going somewhere and immersing yourself in that place and having this experience is what we offer here and that is our sense of place. Mm -hmm. And so I might have gone a bit off topic one of the, here, One of the things we're really interested in is keeping, if we're an artist city, we need to make it affordable for artists to work and to live in the mm -hmm. city. Otherwise, it'll become gentrified and there won't be those creative spaces. Um, so we provide a studio program and ArtSource has all the studios in Old Customs House, mm. of course, so that artists have affordable places to work. And we're very much looking forward to hosting the Business Awards in there for yes. another one of those reasons Excellent. that, you know, so much of our business is derived from these incredible spaces that we do offer, yep. that when we're celebrating business in Fremantle, we should actually be in those spaces. And that was a big part of our decision to move into, you know, a really challenging <laughs> venue to put on a black tie event. But I think there's all of that. And Pippa, back to, I think, some of the things that you were mentioning earlier, just around, even though you were talking about an individual's experience within Fremantle, all of those small details that a business provides make that experience. Mm, and I don't think we can do business, even in the greater Fremantle region, without recognising that having a port, having the water, having a place you can walk around, having venues that respect the places that they're in and apply beautiful architecture to those spaces, they all create that experience. And I think as businesses, and particularly for our businesses here locally, there is almost a responsibility to recognise that and to contribute to that experience. Yeah, I think of it as quite a complex ecosystem that creates that mm. that creative hotspot and they're all equally as important and we need to kind of nurture and feed each element of that 
ecosystem to make sure it thrives. Absolutely. And I think, Anna, you mentioned on the phone during the week that even one of the reasons you chose to come and do business was part of that existing ecosystem and the culture of the people around you. Oh, look, I, I think all of us get that um, <coughs> response when people say, where do you live? And we say, Fremantle. Oh, I love Fremantle. You know, South Fremantle. Oh, I love, I want to live in South Fremantle. I say, yes, I know. That's what got. <laughs> so, anyway, so, and that creates a sense of pride just, um, you know, so, and, and we're all in Fremantle because we love it. I mean, I'm in Fremantle because Arthur was born and really you can take the boy out of Fremantle but you can't take Fremantle out of mm -hmm. the boys. Yeah. So, you know, we've been back here for 22 years. But, um, yeah, look, I think, um, <clears throat> I think, um, oh, sorry to ask the question again. No, I was <laughs> just, just raving thinking, about Fremantle. Talking about that, I, yeah. I guess, sort of ecosystem, um, and recognising that each one of us as businesses have a role in that. So whether you're a retail business with a shop front, you are part of that Fremantle story in a way. And again, that comes back to that sort of marketing, that intangible. Oh, yeah. And I think also um, if I lived in, if we lived in Dianella or if we lived in, um, you know, even though you might have a demographic there, it it wouldn't work, you know, mm. um, so, It'd be but, but the more challenging from, to knock on the door, maybe we feel a bit more comfortable in South Fremantle to knock on people's <laughs> <Yeah>. doors. <laughs> but I think but, yeah. also this idea of you know just to, to counter that, we hear a lot of people say, oh, "I love Fremantle, I love Fremantle." And I also hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, Fremantle, you know, yeah. dirty, old, <laughs> tired," and so I think it's responsibility of all of us to try and and help, you know, ameliorate some of those negative. Um, ideas that people have. It's a bit of a hangover, I think, a bit of a legacy. And, and, and not to say that we're not without our problems, but I think by trying to, um, you know, think about how we design our city and how we can become, develop an identity as a contemporary city, I think that's our challenge is how, what is contemporary Fremantle? You know, we know about the heritage, we know about the artistic um, identity of the city, but how do we see ourselves going forward and how do we sell ourselves as a modern city and a contemporary city? And I think the arts and culture aspect is where we have a huge opportunity to do that and I think everyone has a responsibility to think, well, what can I do to help move that along? You know, we hear people saying, oh, no one's doing anything to help me but let's all help each other by paying attention. Absolutely. And I think, though, there's also, I guess the devil's advocate in me also sort of says, look, you know, when we talk about design, many people think it's, it's highbrow and it's mm. something that's almost... Um, elusive and I don't want to be part of that because yeah. that's not actually me. I'm actually much. Yeah, it's expensive mm. and all of those things. And I think, Catherine, you've had an amazing, I guess, ability to make our festivals and I guess interactions from hidden treasures to 10 night supports. They're very accessible mm. for people, but yeah. still really respectful of the artistic and creative process. Yeah. How do you get that balance and that right? Well, it's, it's tricky and that's what um, Fremantle Arts Centre is extraordinary at doing as well. So it has exhibitions and events that have really incredible international themes and I've seen some of my most kind of challenging, risk-taking exhibitions at Fremantle Arts Centre but they're also so accessible because they, they tell that local story and they connect and you know you trust the, you trust the brand, you trust... Um, the experience, like people are saying, of going there, and so you will you will take a risk on seeing something, and even if it's not quite for you, you'll go back and see the next thing mm. because you know that at least it'll be quality. And I think that's we take that through to 
the festival program too, as long as it's quality and you're working with incredible artists and um, developing, developing emerging artists or working with establishing artists, you know that it's going to be a quality product and it's still, um, yeah, it's still, it's still got universal themes and really interesting, but it needs to, it needs to be accessible and Mm. And a lot of that's about knowing who you are too, yeah. isn't it? And knowing, yeah. as, I think as Pippa said, knowing who we are as a city and who we want to be moving mm. forward. And we may not be a city for everyone, but knowing why we do business in Fremantle, that collaboration that needs to show through in everything we do, that sort of history and heritage and the fact that so much of our city has been built in a way around recreation and entertainment and people come yeah, to Fremantle to right. be entertained. So we need to continue to build those things into our assets as yeah. well. One of the things, sorry, one of the things I was going to say earlier is one of the ways that Design Freeo is sending that message mm. of accessibility and not, it's not highbrow, it is in the everyday, is an exhibition at Fremantle mm. Arts Centre. Mm. That's Opening right, which is soon. an event this month. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're really excited about doing that and that we were really grateful for the opportunity to, to put on this show and to just bring to attention the fact that design is an everyday thing it's about experience you know ultimately design is about human experience and I think that's a really good way to frame it for businesses and people to think about how design impacts on whatever their business is what is the experience of my business what am I doing in here that I could design better and how can I share that and that's what design freer exists for really is to give be a platform for people to share that and to connect designers with with the sort of non-designers and vice versa because designers are very good at talking amongst themselves and sort of, you know, we, we have a lot of chit-chat amongst ourselves but there is, as you well pointed out, often a misconception about what design is and design is, is all around us all the time. It's for everyone. I'm really interested to hear, to try and draw out some stories of some maybe hidden design that's going on in the city within businesses that are, have products and things that they're, you know, maybe they they don't even sell them here. Maybe they're something that's sold in another part of the world. But um, I think there's a lot of design stories still to uncover. Absolutely. Even just reading through some of the um, proposals or nominees that have come through for the business awards. You know, businesses mm. even having done business here for so long, I hadn't heard of. And some of the creative processes of some of those businesses mm. or even their supply chains mm. or the sustainable responsibility that they're choosing to make decisions. You know, at least 10 of our local products just filtered in their um, nomination forms around sustainable sourcing and product development and all of those really stories important. are going to be so exciting to be able to share. Fabulous. In the um, Heritage Festival a few years ago, we did a makers and creators walking tour mm -hmm. and they took us into all the kind of hidden spaces where they're making in the city. And these are incredible local products often sold to the world mm. that are being made in the CBG. Absolutely. Even Megan Salmon's back room with all the dyeing she does of fabrics. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I was about to say, um, and, and I know we're going to come back to that comment that you were going to make earlier, but mm. just quickly, um, Pippa, the comment that you made just around the, the design exhibition, I think one of the things we've been so lucky within the city is that we've had Artists Open House. We've had some great festivals that take people, at, the Makers is a great example, and even um, the recent Design Frio events in people people's homes just mm. to have a look at what someone's home looks like when great design has been applied. I think, you know, if we as a city can do more of those sort of trails and exploration, it really helps to sell that asset. Now, Anna, I'm so sorry we did oh, keep interrupting you. No, not at go. all. In fact, it's more a comment in terms of the um, 
you know, people wanting to come to Fremantle. My comment about Dianola, like, uh, I wouldn't set up business there in our model or probably any model, but it's bringing the people from yeah, Dianella yeah, here. Yeah, and yeah. and the um, the thing about the, the complaints about, the, the, the negative complaints about Fremantle, um, of course, we all hear those, but I think we need to keep the grit, you know, because yeah. I think that's what Fremantle, mm. um, you know, it's... It's a port city. There's always going to be a little bit mm. of that grittiness and I think that's what really people, you know, really, whether they realise it or not, I think it's part of that attraction mm. of coming here. And, and well. it's it sets recognised. us apart. Yes. yes. And it's recognised yes. in our yes. design aesthetic as well. Yeah. We have a lot of yeah. um, industrial conversions and if you think about, um, for instance, Space Agency who are really amazing award-winning architects in Fremantle, a lot of their um, hospitality work that they've done with Bread in Common and... Then the gin distillery that's about to open, you know, that, that way of integrating that industrial heritage mm. and maintaining that and yet layering over this contemporary design element is a really strong part of our identity, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely, and it comes back to also that importance of maintaining some level of affordability within that to avoid yep. that gentrification and that loss of some of that grit. Mm. And, you know, um, Jared's work at Silverleaf with even Manning Arcade, the way maintain that heritage and that beauty and create a beautiful modern space, but also allowed for smaller businesses within that to really grow their own roots. So the, the, the different spaces within that, I think, are a wonderful testament to really consideration of some of those things as well. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I guess one of the other questions I have, and, and this relates to um, a little bit of there's a lot going on. Obviously, you know, we've got the fantastic Design Freo exhibition, and you've got an exhibition coming up next week. We've got oh, 10 nights. It's on now. Oh, now, sorry. <laughs> I was a week behind myself, but yes, it is on now. Putting out Chamber Weekly tomorrow. On th tomorrow. It's Thursday tomorrow, isn't it? Goodness, this week's gone quickly. Um, but how do we keep an eye on the pulse and do it in the right way? Because if we've got hidden treasures going, we don't want every single business going, hey, look, I've got a musician playing in my corner as well. <laughs> um, I guess it's that sort of whilst we are a very collaborative community, where's the line between jumping on the bandwagon or knowing your own business and how you integrate into that from your perspectives? I think it's authentic collaboration. Mm. I think it's connecting to the right people and, and being guided guided by them and I think it's um, more communication. I mean, more events, the more events is better, Like, mm. but um, I think we can do that in a really considered way. That Creative Hotspot report said that we had New Orleans DNA. Yeah. I think we have Fremantle DNA. DNA. Yeah. Like, and I think we can celebrate that and um, one of my one of my priorities is to write the creative plan for the city and hopefully that will capture some of the ways that we can collaborate better or whether we um, we own a space. We say, you know, first Thursday of every month is Arts in Frio night and we celebrate that. And we'll, as part of that creative plan process, we'll talk extensively to the community and to the creative community and find out what would work for what would work for businesses, what and would I work know for the creative community. Structure committee are very keen to be part of that conversation yeah, absolutely. Um, as well for a long time. I think, you know, some of that identification of our assets and, and what they are, both the, you know, the big cultural sort of design assets, but also some of this sort of stuff that we're talking about where, you know, you've got commercial businesses doing great things in the space yeah. and how we recognise the contribution of both of those sort of state-funded 
um, institutions, but also the commercial businesses that are involved. Yeah. Would be really interesting. And on a strategic level, I mean, we're working with the state government, and hopefully, we'll hear soon. There's a few different people pitching for the screen industry mm. investment, which would be incredible because then all the side businesses that feed off that screen and infrastructure, are, you know, the costuming, the catering, it would be a real real buzz for free it would be really Absolutely. incredible and again already in our dna you know we've got yeah. Cosmo productions we've got some of the best documentary filmmakers it's in the world on a our really significant and industry always, again a, a relatively hidden industry yeah. um, mm. within Fremantle. and i think you know even from a chamber perspective one of the things that i love about being in a chamber in Fremantle is the diversity of our industry and these exciting hidden backdoor sort of companies that are doing exceptional things. I know I've cited a few times through this um, panel, but when we had Hubble and Duke in here and they were talking about through COVID and she couldn't get the stuff for her season for the children's wear through uh, from China, you know, found that we've got Liberty fa Design Fabric, you know, one of the biggest Liberty Fabric people in Australia, in O'Connor, and then mm. a beautiful seamstress in Bicton. And before you know it, Liberty in London's picked up her designs because of this incredible collaboration yeah. on our doorstep. I think the COVID thing is really interesting because it is going, you know, people can't go away. They're mm. looking for things to do. It's an amazing opportunity for us to draw people down here and to, and support to show local. off what we're doing. And I think your yeah. point about collaboration is absolutely on point because we need to support each other and we need some top-down support to actually, you know, push what we've, we've got and help us. And it, it's a bit of a – I think I was talking to you about this. It's a sort of top-down and bottom-up. And we need um, policy, regulation, funding. We need all those things to actually – recognise the importance of arts and culture and design in our mm. to our economies. And we also, as from the bottom up, which is really where Design Frio is coming from, if we all ask for better quality design, if we all are recognising and understanding it and, and asking for it, then it will affect that, that kind of top layer as well. And we, we need to push from both sides. And I think from, um, you know, from a business perspective, if we all sort of look at our own businesses and think, well, you asked that question about how can I integrate it and, and I think by providing these opportunities for us to all collaborate and come together and help each other, there should be opportunities for businesses to come to different organisations within the city and say, what can you do for me? How can I help? How can you help me? And, and we can all help each other. But the first good design just... doesn't happen in isolation. You know, Absolutely it can't. not. And I think we all know that you've got to see things that inspire you. To be constantly creating and involving in your own businesses, you have to be out and about and touching other things or, you know, seeing what other places are doing. And as you say, finding that there's businesses here doing things that we didn't even know about, I'm finding every day people mm. that are doing things that I didn't know about mm. and incredible things. Mm. And with COVID, we need to look now locally. We you know, we can't rely on things coming from the other other parts of the world. We don't know what the future is going to hold. This has become so clear to us that, you know, we can't rely on these other supply chains and we need to help each other and support our local economies just to keep ourselves going. And be proud of what we have. You know, I think that's the thing that I'm becoming more and more aware of is just how many amazing things we have. And we need to share those stories and be mm. proud of those stories because it does grow. And, you know, even I was talking to someone the other day about some federal grant funding just around innovation and I'll start up funding and I'm so tired of that just being IT. 
you know, <laughs> I don't or understand that. why if you're a computer coder, suddenly you're the most innovative person in the world. But all of these exciting and interesting stories that we're talking about of startup businesses yeah. that are doing truly creative and interesting things mm. somehow don't fit some of these major federal funding, particularly in this climate. They're the businesses that need support. That's well. absolutely true and that's one problem that the design sector has always had is that the government is willing to fund science and IT and technology and doesn't see design as a sector in its own right mm. that, that feeds into all of those things and needs that support because design innovation is what is going to be our future. Absolutely. And, and it's not just being having fun in the art class in the back room. You know, there no. is a, a very strong commercial reality and I think there is still a perception within some of the more established government institutions that this is kind of just a fun sideline for people but it's not a real business in many ways and I think the conversation today just highlights it's actually part of most of our businesses but those that do it really well have a huge contribution to our economy. It's an enormous advantage, mm. economic advantage. Um, just one other thing that you did briefly touch on is sustainability I think mm. is another huge part of our identity as a city and it's part of the, one of the values of people that, that work here and, and operate here mm. and I think sustaining the city itself by supporting the businesses that are here is really important and I think that's something we can be doing even more of now with COVID with the fact that we need to support each other and um, I think it's such a strong part of our identity when you look at the developments that we're doing in White Gum Valley um, and we've got uh, the Clever Climate app. We've got so many people here doing interesting things in that space mm. and I think it's another thing we can all tap into is looking at how can I be sustainable and, that and that's economic, social and environmental. I was about to say even the work that, you know, Anna, you were mentioning earlier, the, the profile that we've got around respect for, you know, Black Lives Matters and Indigenous culture mm. feeds through into the authenticity of galleries like yours where, you know, there's a lot of people that just don't have those roots to actually offer that authentic yeah. experience. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think if I can just sort of hook into the collaboration, I think it's really important. And I mean, we're always looking, I'm always out there looking for how to collaborate and who to collaborate with and, you know, sort of it, it's it's not, but it, it's not as easy as just sort of like ringing someone up and going, would you like to collaborate? You know, like <laughs> it. So just just this discussion here, I think, has, has been great to hear that you know, at least the ethos is out there, yeah, you know, absolutely. to to get um, that collaborative approach because, because that's how it's that, that's how we're going to coming together is how absolutely. we're going to actually create, and, remain successful. And that idea around competition, though, I think is really a big part of that as well is, you know, we do need to recognise, particularly in a commercial sense, many creative businesses are competitive and they are in competition with each other. So you're right that the collaboration is so crucial and we are open to it here in Fremantle because of the community that we have and the discussions that we have around these things. And I think, you know, the competition is healthy, of course, but I, I think I know when we're doing well, I know that that's not in a vacuum. I know that, you know, sort of my industry is doing well and when, you know, and vice versa and that sort of thing. So I think, of course, we've all got that competitive, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. Mm. But I think coming together has actually got its strengths as well. Oh, completely. Mm. And that's what we talked about, sustainability, community, you know, and this incredible grit and heritage and space that we have. They mm. are our assets. And as I said, even just reading through the 50-odd, you know, nominations mm. over the last couple of days, is it just so clear in every one of those businesses no matter what industry they're in that they're the the basis of why we do business here in Fremantle. 
And also design is a competitive advantage. Yes. You know, if you're a business and you've got good design, no matter what type of business you're doing, that is your competitive yep. advantage. Mm -hmm. That is going to be what separates you out from the next person. And we can all capitalise on that, I think. But I think from a, from, from a business perspective, as I said before, whatever your business is, if you actually look at that through the lens of design and see, well, how can I get an advantage from better design in every aspect of the business, I think that is really healthy. It's a wonderful comment, Pepper, and I think I could talk on this all day, but some incredibly insightful, um, I guess, underst common understanding of what design, art, heritage and culture offers all of our businesses here in Fremantle. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the um, cultural and creative plan come together, Catherine, from the city, because I think that will help, again, cement it into greater policy that then will help us hopefully get a bit more sort of federal and state attention around that. Before we wind up, is there anything anyone else wanted to add? And I might also see if we've got any questions from the floor. Any questions from the floor? Anything online? Okay. I think we'll call that a wrap. Thank you so much um, for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. It's great to Thank have an you. opportunity to talk about what we're doing and I hope that um, people will get involved in Design for Our and come, you know, follow us on our Instagram and on our website and come to our events and, and you know, put forward some ideas about what they're doing in that space. Absolutely. We're really looking forward to that, definitely. Thanks so much, everyone. And thanks, Chris, for uh, taping and recording as always.